0: to meet the pa's podcast here are the experiences of seasoned pas up and coming development of policy from industry leaders and the exploration of those new to the career interviews done with the canadian twist at maple Service.
1: heads up, this week's episode goes a little off our regular beaten track and delves into a lot of hot political topics here in Ontario this week, so stay tuned for an interesting conversation.
0: Hello and welcome everyone to this month's podcast. We are here with Dr. Ashvinder Lamba and Josh Diamante, a PA who graduated four years ago.
2: Yeah, in 2014.
0: 2014. So we're here having a conversation with the two of them. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, Glad you could be here. Okay. So first, let's get in a bit of an introduction from both of you. Could you just give us a small synopsis of your background and what brought you to where you are today?
3: Okay. Um, so, as you mentioned, my name is Dr. Eshwinder Lamba. Um, I am, well, I'll go into a little bit of personal history. Um, so, originally from Newfoundland, I actually did my medical school in Newfoundland, and I did a residency at McMaster University, and I finished in 2014. And um, in terms of interests, so I have a primary care practice in Brampton. I do low-risk obstetrics at the hospital in, at the Brampton Civic in Brampton. I also have a retirement home and a long-term care floor in Etobicoke, um, where I also work. Other than that, I'm married, I have two little boys, Mm -hmm. six and two, which keep me very busy. Yeah, so that's basically my
2: synopsis.
0: Okay, all right, and Josh?
2: So, I started at McMaster in 2010 in my undergraduate degree in kinesiology. And that's where I heard about my PA, the PA program at that time. It was fairly new. Um, the first graduating class graduated in 2010. So I remember attending um, an info session in 2011 about the PA profession. During that time, it piqued my interest. And that's when I applied to the PA program and started in 2012. I graduated the PA program in 2014. And at that point in time, I started uh, working in family medicine here in Brampton through the Wise Elephant Family Health Team, uh, through the Community MD Family Practice. So I've been working now in family medicine for around four years. Uh, So primarily I work out of the family practice here in Brampton, um, but I also work out of a long-term care retirement home, which is located in Etobicoke, Ontario, which mainly focuses in uh, geriatric care.
1: What drew you to the PA profession?
2: So growing up like many of my fellow colleagues, I always imagined myself working in medicine in some sort of aspect. I looked into the physician um, route. I even wrote my MCAT in my second year of university and scored very well. Uh, the daunting factor for me was time. Uh, I couldn't imagine myself going through another four plus years of schooling and on top of that residency as well. And in some ways, the flexibility of being a PA attracted to me much more um, with the ability to work in various specialties of medicine at any given time. Yeah, that's what attracts
0: a lot of us to the yeah. PA role. You get done faster and you can still see patients. Yeah. Ash, how did you hear about PAs?
3: Well, I guess I guess I heard about PAs when I started here because myself and Josh started here at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't know anything about PAs. So there was myself and another physician here who had hired Josh and who had trained him. And so Josh was basically working for him. And so when that physician left, it just seemed to make sense that you know, if I want to stay in the same clinic mm-hmm. and there are a bunch of orphan patients if Josh was willing to stay then we could work out uh, some sort of a deal as long as I could bring in enough money to hire him mm-hmm. so that happened fairly slowly um, in terms of hours so in the beginning he was working part time and we were he was helping me basically at the retirement home that both of us had mentioned in Etobicoke and then when the other physician left a few months later then I kind of decided okay well why don't I hire a Josh full-time um, so he can work half the time at the retirement home with me and half the time at the clinic mm-hmm. so it just seemed to make sense so basically he ended up fitting the same role that he had worked for the previous physician so during this time it was just more learning kind of what the capabilities are a physician assistant um, Josh has a very broad knowledge base so um, he can pretty much help me anywhere which is great yeah, so that's basically my so experience.
0: bring that uh, a little more detail and then into how you guys are working together. How, does, how are the medical directives formatted, worded, and how the supervision and, and things uh, work out here?
3: So, so in general, so I am at the clinic half the time, Josh is here half the time, so we overlap. So he has direct and indirect supervision. And then at the retirement home, um, he will see patients and then I round with him Mm-hmm. And that works very well because I don't have to be hundred percent with him all the time. So as long as we have that overlap and that supervision is there, um, I can actually do some extra work. So for example, if I'm at the clinic, I can do some paperwork while he's seeing patients. Right. So that makes sense with regards to saving time. Um, administrative and tasks more. are overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so, uh, saving time mm-hmm. and, um, having patients seen when well, I have to do administrative tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, they, they amount to a good day couple of days every week of paperwork. Paperwork. Yeah. Everything else that has to do with running a business. Because I've also had to take over at the clinic. So that's a whole other side. <laughs>
1: yeah. but, you, didn't, uh, you didn't know you were
0: going well, to no, own up clinic,
3: did you? No. And I don't I never would have stayed here if Josh hadn't signed on. <laughs> <laughs> there was absolutely no way <laughs> that I was going to be able to do a full-time clinic on my own. And do everything on my own. It just wasn't going to happen. I needed some help.
0: Yeah. I think that's that's one of the advantages, right? Because you it really extends your reach, so mm-hmm. you are able to cover all those patients and cover all the administrative stuff. Like when you have right. when you have, PAS or nurse practitioners or whoever, you have your staff that's there. It makes difference. Yeah,
3: because Josh also can help me with billing and those types of things as well. So it works out really
0: well. Yeah, all the paperwork.
2: I mean, the biggest factor in kind of continuing my practice here at Community MD with Doctor Lamba was the continuity of care knowing the patients previously, and then continuing on with her. I mean, having that history with the patients and the ongoing rapport was a big factor in kind of maintaining the practice here as well. hmm mm-hmm. Makes it easier.
1: So what's like a, a typical day for you here at the clinic?
2: So both my times, I mean, during a regular week, I usually work five to six days a week. Um, during this time period, we also participate on shared on-call with the retirement home. So we're covering 365 uh, days a year, seven days a week.
0: Between the two of you, that's correct. Yeah. Yes, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but a typical work week is usually I'm three days at the clinic and then two two and a half days at the retirement home. Mm-hmm. So usually they're shared. So most of the time I do a half day at the clinic, so whether it be a morning or an evening, and then they alternate with the retirement home as well. So usually typical work days are between eight to twelve hours. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you have some some of your days can be long. Yes, and some short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Depending on it I just I
3: mostly give Josh free reign of his hours so so we end up kind of uh, figuring out when he's available when I'm available mm-hmm. so I make a monthly schedule so oh, it, nice. it depends it depends on you know if we have it depends on it our personal schedule as well right so sometimes if I have to be home by six then he can help me out depending on how it mm-hmm. works
2: I mean I, th- I think flexibility is key, key here right yeah. I mean with Ash working in the hospital as well I mean her shifts can shift between overnights and days, right? Um, and with myself in supporting the clinic, I mean, flexibility of my hours can kind of work around hers to continue the care for the patients here mm-hmm. as well. Yeah.
1: yeah. You're not canceling patients because you're a because person delivering. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right, <clears throat> right
0: exactly. So that's so what you do at the hospital, right? Ash is you helping the OB stuff.
3: Yes. Yeah. So I do low-risk obstetrics. Yeah. So most of those patients I see myself, especially towards the end, of the pregnancies uh of their pregnancies so
0: they start in, so, they start in clinic with either you or josh yeah and then and usually
3: then... as they get a little bit further on their pregnancy i will see them or the nurse practitioner who's also comes here from the family health team will see them melissa mm-hmm. and then i will see them towards the end okay and um so i also do low risk obstetrics at the brampton Civic hospital um, so there's a brampton primary care obstetrics group actually we do have a website as well. <laughs> so it's what, actually, <laughs> what is it? It's uh, actually I'm not sh- completely Just sure. Is it. 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 Brampton is <laughs> it's, uh, it's Brampton Primary Care Obstetrics Group. So I think it's bramptonpcos.org, org, I believe. We'll post it on the, you can post the it. show yeah. notes. We'll post it on the show notes. So there's um, at the hospital we have a we have a, a rotation. That's what we call it a rota. Um, there's twenty four of us. So we share Oh, there's twenty four of you. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure 24, 25 of us now. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually kind of where our numbers are, so we're there twenty four seven. The obstetricians are twenty four seven, and there's midwives that also deliver there. Mm-hmm. So we're one of the groups. So now we are exp- expanding our reach for more patients okay. through the website, and we probably will be advertising soon as well.
0: Brampton Civic is notorious as, as one. Is, does as as it have the highest, the highest birth deli- rate
1: yeah, deliveries of, of rate? any yeah. hospital in Canada? Yeah, is I it think Canada? For I sure, sure I Ontario. I think for sure
3: Ontario. I'm it's not sure, if it's really high.
1: It's about seven thousand five hundred. Uh, I, in comparison year. to the hospital that is next door to the hospital I work in mm-hmm. they were really excited because last year they hit 150 births <laughs> <laughs> they had a cake and everything like that's wow. a big deal for them so put it in perspective <laughs>
3: so so uh, yeah it's, it's, it's good it's actually it's good I ended up hyperaptic actually because I was always interested in obstetrics and so the fact that I ended up here just by chance because my husband lived here it's, it's good it worked out well
0: yeah, you get to, you get to do all these things because you have the help at the clinic. You couldn't do any of that right, otherwise. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> okay. So in terms of keeping you employed, Josh, do you? How do you guys do that? Because this is a private office. Do you have funding?
3: So in terms of, I guess in terms of how it works. Um, so I'm part of a family health team.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So uh, I bill myself. Mm-hmm. So I get funded that way, basically. Yeah. Um, we also have base rate payments that come in for all the patients we have. Right. Um, so the fact that I have Josh and that we overlap, I can actually serve more patients.
0: Right.
3: And yes. that's how I can make more base rate, basically. Right.
0: You increase the roster. Yeah. Yeah. You increase the roster size, so that works very well. And do you have you been tracking statistics on that? You have not been doing it on that level because you're just so confident that this is working and. Happy yeah. so we're not yeah, I, I basically I have to look and see if I can afford him yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> afford him and the clinic.
3: So basically I mean you look at the numbers like before I used to have part-time practice so I had about 800 patients mm-hmm. because I was in clinic half the time and then I was doing obstetrics and I was and I actually at that time I was doing obstetrics and half clinic yeah. I, I didn't have a retirement home or the long-term no. care facility. So then, I went from eight
0: hundred patients. I think
3: now I have about seventeen hundred patients. Wow! So I doubled it, yeah, more than doubled, more it. than
0: doubled the roster size, which, which
3: I would have to to afford a PA. Yeah, and now that I'm taking over the clinic, now I now have to figure out clinic expenses as well. Mm-hmm. So I need to figure out how to afford all of it because yeah, running a business is very expensive. Right. And I don't think people understand how expensive it is. I yeah. think a lot of um, I think a lot of people in the public, especially, think that it's all funded. That you know that we're sitting in an office that the government's paying for, but that's completely not true.
1: Yeah. We fund
3: everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. People, you know, they, the government will publish doctors' salaries, yeah. but they they don't say that. You know, this is how much that corporation made, but that corporation also has all of these staff to pay for. They have rent in buildings, they mm-hmm. have medical equipment, they have, you know, electricity bills, which are hydro. You know, everything. Hydro's crazy, <laughs> right? Like you have to. It, it's not like another. It's not like the CEO of a. Of a, you know, Hydra One, who just gets paid, you know, millions of dollars to work there. Like mm-hmm. you have these, you know, all these bills coming out. Mm-hmm. It really right. is a business, and I don't think. I think the way it, it, they make it look in the news, it, it doesn't make it look that way. Yeah. <laughs> At yeah. least that's my perception. Well, of it. and the thing,
3: and the thing is with the tax and the and the corporations where they un they basically unincorporated us. I mean, we can keep our corporations, but they're worth crap. They're not worth anything now,
0: mm.
3: right? Because we can't we can't keep. Money in the corporation get taxed at fifteen percent anymore. We can't. We used to be able to keep money there, be taxed fifteen percent, and whatever was left in the corporation could actually generate passive income. So, for example, if I want to take another mat leave, which I wouldn't even consider now because I can't afford it, <laughs> if I don't have anything in my corporation generating money, what do I use during my mat leave? Right. I don't. I don't have because physicians you don't do not get. And it, I don't get. There's no the benefits. I, I get from the OMA. You know how the maximum we can get is seventeen thousand dollars.
0: $17,000. That's it.
3: So if I take a year, I get $17,000. Yeah. Okay. I mean, who can who lives off that? Let alone if you have businesses to support. Right. So yeah. that doesn't make any sense, right? So people don't understand that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you've actually been really involved in conversations with the Ontario Medical Association or the OMA mm-hmm. and talks about basically with groups of people who are trying to revamp how the OMA is structured and working. hmm what are it's been in the news a lot in Ontario, mm-hmm. but for those who aren't in Ontario, can you give us a quick summary of what's happening there? So,
3: basically, what's happening is that my group, the group that I'm involved in called Concern Concerned Ontario Doctors, acronym COD, um, you can find us online at carenotcuts.ca. If you want to read a bit more about what's happening in Ontario, we have a lot of information there. Um, but basically, I was previously part of the All May when um, we kind of got wind of what was happening with regards to the government and all the cuts the government was making. This actually started when I started working in 2014. So when I started working, things were bad, but they just got worse since I've been um, in practice. So basically, the government basically made unilateral cuts to our fees across the board. There was no rhyme or reason for it. They just decided where they want to cut and they made the cuts. So we were originally, myself and for example, uh, Dr. Kovinder Gill, who's an allergist in Brampton. So she is the one that co-founded uh, Concerned Ontario Doctors. And now she's currently uh, the president. Um, so we had originally ran We ran for the OMA and we were delegates at the OMA. And we were there for, I think I think I was there for, I quit last or I resigned last summer so that would have been 2016 and i believe i joined i can't remember now i think it was 2015 it's hard for me to remember but anyway either way i was involved for a year a year and a half and the reason we resigned was because uh, at the all may meetings we were really not getting anywhere we basically how the council works is like any other council where you put in motions to try to improve the organization and represent the membership and we were putting in motions just with regards to accountability and transparency within the organization, which basically doesn't exist, um, and trying to put other motions through for the benefit of membership. And they were all being voted down or being called out of order. So, for example, even asking for transparency of finances um, or transparency of how much uh, the executive were making, um, the board was making, they were actually called out of order. They weren't even voted on. Mm -hmm. Now, what organization... It's pretty doesn't standard want. that everybody publicizes it right. to their members. Right, and they still mm-hmm. haven't. So, um, and there were many other things that happened as well. But basically, um, Dr. Gill and Dr. D'Souza, uh, they uh, publicly resigned. Um, and then about nine of us resigned a few months later for the mm-hmm. same reasons. Uh, so we've been more involved with the conservative doctors and basically keeping the OMA accountable. And they haven't been doing a very good job, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically the only answer we get from any of the exec or the directors or the board members is uh, we're changing it from the inside. Well, if we don't see it on the outside, it doesn't really matter.
0: And ultimately, this is going to affect. This is affecting patients and patient uh, care. Of course, right? yeah.
3: Because the thing is, if we don't have any representation, there's nobody to fight for us. I mean, we've been without a contract for five years, and. Funny enough, it's interesting how the negotiations have basically stalled and probably won't pick up till after the election. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because healthcare is a huge issue, it's and it should be yeah, it should be it's a radical. huge political pawn. And so it feels like that the old may is trying to
2: you know, not
3: make healthcare as much of an issue before the election. Because this is the time they could really be up in arms and be advertising, the Liberals are doing this, the Liberals are doing that, they're not. So people or groups like the Concerned Ontario Doctors are having to do it for them. Mm-hmm. So, so you probably have seen some things in the media recently where we had, um, we had a Queen's Park press briefing, of three days ago, yeah. and I think it's been received very well. And I think a lot of people are starting to read what we're putting out there, listening to what we're putting out there and realizing, wow, this is, we're in a really, we are in a crisis in Ontario.
2: Yeah. We really are.
3: Yeah. And I think if you talk to any family doctor and if you trust and believe them, as you should, because I don't, we're not lying. It really is affecting patient care because, well, if I don't have the money, how do I stay open that extra hour? Right. Right. Right? How, how do you how, squeeze how, it in? How
0: do you keep supplies going? Yeah. How do you yeah. have front desk staff? Exactly. Okay. I think somebody really
3: needs to sit down and like crunch the numbers. If you just crunch the numbers, you would see. If you really want some real numbers, I can give you some real numbers. If I have a rostered patient here on, let's say I'm saying on average, and again, mm-hmm. I might not be completely accurate, but a healthy patient, I might get 140 a year. So that's 140 over 12 months. Okay? Yeah. Right. So. Take a thousand patients. How much am I getting? A thousand times one forty is what? One hundred forty thousand. 140,000. For a part-time practice, mm-hmm. right? So now think about an average business. How much you have to pay? Yeah, yeah. So, so how much? You know,
0: there's cost assistance. Yeah. So because I mean, out of that you're paying and you're paying salary for how many staff? Right. Several staff.
3: So, so even if I pretend that even if I'm not having my own business and I work under another doctor and I pay them overhead, minimum I'm going to pay in Brampton is probably thirty percent.
0: Wow. Yeah. So what's thirty percent of one hundred forty. Yeah, I have no idea. I'd have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but
3: let's say I would say a part time practice, depending on how difficult your patient population is, it could be easily half time, like twenty hours a week. Yeah. Right. So what? What's the calculation there? I think it's I around forty five
0: thousand, I believe. Yeah, forty two thousand is thirty. Right.
3: So let's say at best, let's say I make one hundred fifty.
0: Like I'm, you know, I'm making hundred. Hundred thousand dollars. so you, right? you come away at hundred thousand if you're only paying overhead, not if you're owning. It, exactly. If you're only paying overhead, exactly.
3: Right. Yeah. So you yeah. have to think about all those things, and I'm not talking about how about taxes. Mm-hmm. If I pocket that, well, I, I pay tax. Mm-hmm. So I don't think people get that, and I like. I mean, there's so many people I know that are hundred thousand dollars in debt from being in medical school. Right. As Josh had mentioned before, it takes forever. Mm-hmm. You're like thirty yeah. something by the time you even start working with a huge debt yeah yeah so yeah i do well i'm not going to complain that i'm not doing well but the amount i paid affects patient care absolutely it does and if people want to if the if the government wants to keep saying that we're well paid we are well paid but if you keep cutting us we're going to see less patients less surgeries we can do less or time all those things right
0: yeah so what you guys actually have a petition going around right now right yeah and you need more signatures we would like signatures Mm -hmm. it looks very good when you
3: you mm-hmm.
1: Have lots of signatures. Have lots of signatures. <laughs> and the <laughs> petition
0: is—is is what the petition for specifically? So it's to hold the all—all all made accountable. Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and there's also a petition for patients to sign in regards to concerns over healthcare cuts.
0: Yep. So the, the petition for there there's the one that only physicians can sign. Right. But of course, most of us listening are associated with a supervising physician. Right. So if you're hoping that we'll post it on the. On our website as well. Sure. If they can sign the petition for the physicians, as well as all the PAs can sign as patients. The patient yes, that'll be that'll be great. Yeah. Right. And just trying to get the OMA to actually be supportive of physicians, so that we can move forward and get good patient care happening as well. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think I,
3: I don't I think <clears throat> that people don't seem to understand that when all these cuts started happening, in my head this is my personal opinion. I don't mind who takes the money from me because I'm pretty well paid, I can manage, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's going towards patient care, mm. but if you see it not go towards patient care, and it's going towards other people's pockets, That's then right. it's infuriating. Right. So basically, you're taking money from me that I could have used for my patients in my clinic, and you're giving it to who knows who. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't know who where it's going. None of us do because the government isn't isn't accountable. Yeah. It. It's not
1: like they took that money from the doctors and said, Oh, actually we're gonna use this money to open up to you know, no two hundred new long term care beds no, or something. No, they, yeah. they
3: haven't done that. What they've no. done is they've increased they've actually created a sublin underneath oh the LIN gosh. and put ninety million. Ninety million really. into yeah, into oh another layer of bureaucracy. Oh there are more there are more bureaucrats in Ontario than there are family doctors at this point. <laughs>
0: Oh that's God. just really quite laughable. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> absolutely laughable and this is why the liberals need to be voted out, And why we have I mean, we have a huge physician shortage here. There are people showing up in ERs for their breast mass because they don't have yeah. family physicians, yeah. right? Yeah. And I mean even and, and even to how that directly relates to PA employment. I mean when you initially hired Josh, did you contact the OMA and ask for their assistance and details on how this works? Well it's
3: more the more CPSO. CPSO C M P A. Yeah, right, just with regards to how you know, it's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Uh, from a patient safety point of view,
1: yeah,
3: and my and liability point of view, exactly. So which we have uh, very strictly followed.
0: Yeah. Um, well, they they have very specific opinions on the use and practice of PAs within yeah. your family health team yes. that don't necessarily perfectly align with the the CAP of the PA organizations right. statements, right, or the. Um, like Canadian wide. Or the Canadian wide statements guidelines. either. They're not the guidelines aren't you know, the CPSO and and the OMA are have slightly different viewpoints. And mm-hmm. even between the two. they have the Even between the two. Yeah, and so two that makes it very confusing for a physician who maybe, when you came in and you were a new graduate, mm-hmm. you were new to the area, mm-hmm. and then you were new to PAs as well. Yeah, exactly. and, and Josh was a new, well, you weren't a new graduate when you started with Ash, were you? No, I was. You, you were, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah
3: we, we finished around the same time. You, program. We
2: started, we her started, started here at the same time. In October so 2014. So you're
0: both completely new. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, I mean, PAs come out. we don't have any idea how... Right. you know, legally we're supposed to function or financially we're supposed to function a system. You didn't know how that's mm. supposed to happen. But his
3: former supervisor was around for a while.
0: And like that it? helped. That did yeah. help. So that helped yeah. a lot
3: because he was the one that basically got was, it started. Yeah, got it started. Yeah. To my benefit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> um, okay, so do you feel, do either of you feel supported by these organizations in terms of, integrating a successful PA-physician relationship I mean, in the practice. Well,
3: I think that maybe we we have to be even more ultra-cautious because I don't feel comfortable with the guidelines as they mm. are. Um, I think Josh is very useful and um, in terms of patient care and actually servicing the population mm-hmm. here in this area. It's worth it. Because otherwise, a lot of these patients would be orphaned, and I think our clinic, as part of the Wise Elephant Family Health Team, we have a very good uh, setup in place that our patients are very well supported. Right. Rather than um, not have a physician assistant here, when obviously we had one that was very good at what mm. he did and knows the patients, it didn't make sense to me to not take advantage of the fact that he was here and he could help me.
0: Yeah. If that makes yeah.
3: any sense. Yeah. Um, because if if I didn't have him I wouldn't have stayed here I would have had to join another clinic Um, and then most of those patients even some of my patients wouldn't have followed me Right. so there would have been people that were orphaned and most likely here maybe a walk-in doctor would have come in and it wouldn't have been the same level of care not to say other physicians aren't good Physicians, they are, but the family health team functions in a way where people have more accessibility, they have longer appointments, they know us already in this neighborhood, and so on and so forth. So, so there's, a benefit other than there's benefit benefits. There's benefits. Part of yeah. family health team, yeah. They have extended services. Exactly. like, so, it didn't, yeah, like so it didn't make sense to me to not uh, continue to service those patients. Right? So,
0: when you guys transitioned over, so when the previous physician left, and you guys are coming together, so you're taking over a new practice, and you're starting, I mean, did you guys feel like you knew how to make that work already because you knew each other prior to the practice c- taking over? Yeah, for sure. And do you feel like Kappa and CPSO and OMA were supportive of, of that happening, or do you feel like they could do more to help integrate this?
2: I mean, from a personal standpoint, I mean, knowing Ash on not only a professional level, but a personal level, I mean, the transition at that time period when there was that change was fairly easy. I mean... And the biggest factor driving this was to provide the continuity of care for the patients Mm -hmm. here. I mean, in terms of your question, Rebecca, in terms of support from the kind of regulatory bodies, I mean, this decision was probably more based from more of a private standpoint rather than kind of an overall standpoint.
0: Right, yeah. So then how would you, Josh, recommend to other people who are currently unemployed, have lost funding, or are new graduates looking to find somebody who is interested in privately funding uh, PA at their office, how do they find that relationship?
2: I mean, my biggest standpoint is trying to provide a measure where you're invaluable, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to find that niche for yourself where you can work and kind of sell yourself to that physician privately. I mean, so a lot of this has to go back to kind of billing and kind of meeting criteria through the ministry we're in those services or populations that are underserviced. So a lot of patients in terms of diabetes care or palliative care or chronic care kind of education, those are kind of areas where there is a bit of neglect or underserviced Mm. populations, right? So for myself personally, I mean, I take advantage or more care in areas of kind of chronic care management. So I do a lot of CHF work. Um, patients with diabetes care, we ensure that they're kind of timely following up every three months, right? Updating their flow sheet, making sure their A1C is checked. And I mean, that not only helps them overall in terms of disease prevention, but overall in terms of care provides preventative care measures as well. Right.
1: Which overall costs the health system less because they're not showing up in eMERGE. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> 30. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> if we so when you're when you're saying that you're like following up on these pa- patient populations, you're able to actually go in the system and see who hasn't had their A one C checked or who hasn't had their flu shot or whatever, and you can then follow up, give them a phone call, mm-hmm. and say, right, is that what you're meaning by finding that invaluable and underserved spot for yourself and the. Underservice population within an area.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, through kind of e health, uh, we have access to kind right. of meeting those screening targets, right? Yeah. For FOBT screening, PAP screening, whether it be mammogram screening, um, like diabetic in that screening. In the mail. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, right. <laughs> I oh, mean, the Ontario government sends you. I mean, it's tedious for a physician that. to kind of follow up on the, it themselves, right? So right. having myself here or any kind of other allied health to kind of follow up on that and kind of meet those criteria is very valuable for a physician. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's
1: only so many hours in a day. Yeah. You can't expect, you know. Yeah. And they do everything. The day. expectations are very high. Yeah. Expect somebody to do all yeah, that but by themselves. Yeah,
0: but apparently we're paid. Way too much, according to <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, you. are so independently wealthy, yeah. I know. I was, I was
3: gonna. I was just gonna mention something else too with regards do. to uh, employment. So, um, so I have Josh here, which a lot of physicians don't, and I think this is an issue of economics and also an issue of not being familiar with PAS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I still think there's a lot of, a lot of people don't know about PAS. And personally, I mean, unless Josh had been here, or even Rebecca, when you've mm. been here before, I, what would I know? I would know very little.
0: It about would, his, yeah.
3: Right? So it's really just by luck of the draw that I was here, right? So what was I going to say? Oh yes, uh, in terms of uh, employment, so on average every doctor does employ about four people on average. Yeah. Okay. So for me, I have two and a half at the front and I have Josh, so I guess that's about three and a half. Mm. So that's pretty close to that stat. And I mean, other offices have way more staff because they have more physicians and yeah. some of those physicians do make more, they make less or what have you, so it kind of fluctuates. Um, but that's another thing people don't realize is that if you don't fund physicians less patients are are uh, are seen or have family doctors as well as you don't have as much staff yeah which is more people that are not working There are more people that are not working yeah. so it really does affect the economy with regards to the federal government what they've done in terms of attack uh, small business and attack us and professionals like lawyers and accountants and so on and so forth as far as I'm concerned is just disgusting Mm, and yeah. the liberal government saying they're feminists, that's complete crap. It is. <laughs> it is. It's complete crap. I mean, take like, a, like the example I gave before with regards to mat leave. Mm-hmm. Now, women are going to, they won't be able
0: to take mat leave. No. Yeah. And they're still going to have to babies. I think a lot of people don't know that. No. If you're a business
1: owner or a physician, you don't get mat leave. If mat you're mat leave a woman it, that is self-employed or owns a small business, you don't get mat leave. Right. So, yeah, if you take away my
3: corporation, you've essentially, you know, hit me over the head.
1: Yeah. yeah. So what, I and
0: what what was their argument for doing that? I don't um, they they were able to pocket more taxes yeah, that way was. Is that how that It was just through? it was
3: just taking the mm-hmm. money from the rich people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to tax the rich people like the ultra right. right. really the rich the the people that are actually rich. <laughs> they won't yes. go after them. They'll go after the like upper middle class who actually support the lower class mm-hmm. by employing them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's just it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, dynamic here uh, in Ontario and Canada. Um, but, uh, as a friend of mine pointed out, um, there's never been a provincial liberal government and a federal liber- liberal, government at the same time in Ontario. So I'm pretty sure one of them will be voted out either now or in a couple of years. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: Well, there's an election coming up this <laughs> spring, right? There's an election yeah. coming up.
3: Yeah. So I'm hoping, I think the liberals have
0: overstayed their welcome. Yeah, they have. Ash, I have no idea where you sit politically. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll have to make it more obvious. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what else we've got here on my list, and we think we've covered
1: most everything. Just f- sort of to circle back to more of the PA thing, um, Josh, where do you see PAs, where are you hoping PAs will mm-hmm. be in two or three years from now? Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, as a small profession, I mean, the first class graduated in 2010. I mean, there's only a small number of us kind of having a voice. And I mean, over the next two, three years, I mean, I hope more kind of universities will start PA programs. I mean, of course, over provinces, we can now see Alberta, BC talking about PAs, which is fantastic, right? I mean, the big key factor here is regulation, which is a large topic that's on a lot of PAs' minds, especially for Ontario, where Ontario holds the largest amount of PAs Mm. who are employed. Right. So I think that is a big key factor where our kind of chapter president needs to kind of further those discussions. Mm-hmm. And I hope with a new kind of deputy minister of healthcare, the ongoing discuss- discussions can continue from right. that standpoint as right. well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, they've, they've certainly been, I don't know, promising introductions, I guess, right? And hopefully get to that point. And, and really, hopefully, to a sustainable funding model as well, because that's ultimately what's going to get us.
1: Jobs, right? We mm-hmm.
0: that, ha- that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. like if
1: the government provided funding for your role, that would take a lot of that would take pressure. It would take the pressure, pressure, off. Take this the pressure Well, there'd be a lot of
3: competition for PAs then, because yeah. who wouldn't want a PA right at yeah. that point, yeah. right?
2: And it wouldn't have to be full funding. I there would be partial funding. You know, partial funding even exactly. partial funding, right? Yeah. yeah, especially for underserviced areas or underserviced populations. Right. I mean, yeah. that's where kind of where it's needed most, right? Mm-hmm. And where yeah. a PA could be more valuable.
1: Right. Yeah, and I mean, especially I have a, a colleague that I know that works in long term care like you guys do, and they said the rate of transfer to hospital has declined by like over like seventy percent. Okay. By having a PA going into the nursing home on a regular basis. Um wow. which has to be saving the healthcare system a lot of money. A lot of right. money. A lot of money. Um
2: Even from our standpoint, um, where I work kind of out of the retirement home two to three Mm -hmm. days a week, Mm -hmm. I mean, the key factor we focus on is reducing those ER visits. Right, yeah. I mean, you can imagine how fearful and threatening an elderly patient who has, let's say, dementia would Mm -hmm. feel kind of Mm -hmm. in a loud emergency department. It's just unsettling for them. It's awful. Like,
1: I work in an emergency department, and when they come in, and the delirium, and like, and, you know, I would say a lot of the time they don't actually need to be there, Yeah. yeah. right? Like, you know, if they fall and break something yeah mm-hmm. they, they need to come in and get a cast put on but like for things like you know dehydration and stuff they, right. they don't need to be seen in the emergency department and it's completely disorienting yeah. for them and then the family has to pay for them to go back to their place of residence right, out of their the, own pocket right, because mm-hmm. that's they, no longer the ambulance covered. is not covered mm. so the ambulance can bring them to us right. but they can't take them home right. so now the family is out like 800 bucks to take to have the patient transported back from the emergency room to their place of residence, like, okay, yeah. Actually, I don't, I don't think I've ever thought of that before. It's a very...
0: It's expensive. It's a very expensive. It's, and they're not um, a, generally a population that has a lot of money to right. begin with.
3: So. Yeah. And I think that... Um, I was just going to mention something just specifically to where we work in a TOCO. Yeah. I'm very layman's terms. Okay. Yes. So, um... So just to talk about a little bit about uh, transfers. So the retirement home and long term care facility where we work, a lot of those patients will end up get transferred out to the hospital, and that's usually uh, Humber River. Hmm. So just to tie it into the whole thing we were talking about healthcare cuts, Humber River is uh, being used uh, in the media as this is the high tech hospital. We should be uh, modeling all of our new hospitals after this hospital. But if you talk to staff at Humber River, it's horrible. It's a horrible hospital in terms of wait times. And, oh,
0: really? Yeah, in
3: terms of uh, patient care in general, they just don't have the staff, mm. or it's just organized in a way that's uh, uh, difficult for physicians and healthcare providers. For example, I think uh, one of my colleagues had mentioned even just to go back and forth to check on their patients, it was just not organized properly okay. in terms of where the rooms are and you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I I, I don't, can't remember the exact details, but the emergency physicians are not happy with that hospital at all.
0: Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah.
3: So it's not, mm-hmm. it's, and it's really funny because if you look at the, the media and even Ford, he, even he's talking about Humber river. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, because it's like the first completely digital hospital. Yeah. But, but it means nothing. But like, d- does that actually make patient care better? I don't know. No. It right. That's, I mean, that's it it makes the orders more legible, yeah. I suppose. But I think that's, right. <laughs> <laughs> but again,
3: but again, again, the frontline physicians and staff know nothing about how to run a hospital the administration does, and the bureaucrats do.
1: So let's see. Let's see how things well, A lot out. could
0: change in the next few months.
3: I think a I lot mean, will a lot... change
1: in the next yeah. few months. a lot could change. Yeah. Whoever says they're going to put in more long-term care beds and actually does it is the one that gets more vote. I yeah, feel like exactly. a lot of people That's... actually say that, and not so many actually do it. Yeah, and right. I think they've said that at every election, but it's somebody who actually does it without putting our province into further debt... <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, there has to be some thought. We're basically, yeah. We're,
3: we're yeah. actually being buried right now. Like, soil is being thrown on top of us. Like, this is how bad it is. Um, we're paying a billion dollars a
1: month in interest. A billion. A billion. Like, that number is unfathomable <laughs> to me. Like, I can't it's, grasp it's, how much it
3: is. It's funny because the free childcare is going to be paid by those children when they're 30. Because yep, they're yep. still going to be sh- shoveling themselves out of debt. Yeah. That's what I find so ironic about it.
1: And I don't know. Who on tire... Free childcare for one year, like kids start kindergarten at three and a half, like, <laughs> or, like and nobody gets a two and a half year mat leave. No, like, no, that's not. This just you still have to pay for daycare until they're two and a half, and then in order to get them into one of the paid childcare spots, you're gonna have to move that child out of the daycare that they've been at yeah. for
0: yeah. probably
1: at least a year and a half, right? Where they're comfortable and they have a like bonded relationship with their caregivers into one of these yeah. paid for spots, right? For a year and a half, for a year, and then go to kindergarten. Like it's a yeah. lot of it just—it doesn't, doesn't make, any make sense a lot to me. Of it it's isn't... just, it's just. just uh, I'm fine. not against daycare spots. I think universal daycare or subsidized daycare is actually a great idea. It mm-hmm. gets more more people back into the workforce. But it, I think that's the wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Doing, then, yeah. It, yeah. But, well, yeah. The, the decisions that are being made is just interesting.
0: We have. Uh, we have. This was a very political conversation wrap it up with anything else to say <laughs>
3: uh
1: I guess okay
3: I, I'll say I think I think PAs are invaluable and I think a lot of doctors and a lot of other uh, people in the healthcare profession would be very happy to support the so support PAs but of course we need the
0: funding you need, the oh, funding. We need some sort of you way need to the fund funding it. and yeah. then you need the you need the education on it too like you yeah. said because how if you know if you've not heard of them right but we're also being cut the other
3: thing is, too, just one thing to mention is, in terms of, um, of uh, the politics behind healthcare, I mean, physicians at the same time are a little bit concerned about other professions encroaching on our our area of expertise. Oh, that's, you know, that's a good point. So that's, 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 that's something, just to be aware yeah. as PAs, that... Yep. Um, that, for example, um, I know in BC, I read an article recently that they're per- giving, they're thinking of giving nurses, nurse practitioners the ability to, to prescribe heroin. Mm-hmm. Which to me is very puzzling because I think most doctors I know don't even want to do that. So I'm not quite understanding, understanding the rationale behind that. I think that the government's making decisions based on how much it's going to cost to control the problem that they perceive mm-hmm. can be solved by certain health professionals helping
1: them in that area,
3: those health professionals might not necessarily have the training.
1: They may not want it. And they They might not want want it either. The number of physicians that don't want to prescribe heroin are probably quite similar to the number of NPs that do not want to prescribe heroin. So I'm a
3: bit confused about... The rationale. And I think it just chalks up to the fact that bureaucrats are bureaucrats. They're not doctors. They're not right. healthcare professionals. They have no clue what they're talking about. And they don't want to talk to us about it. And I don't know if that's also because they're afraid we're encroaching on their jobs. I'm not really right, I sure what's happening I mean, here. Yeah. I think, but it's I think not working. It's, an, like, it's a valid... if you're
1: an NP who works in, like drug addiction, rehab, clinic, that might make sense, but it should be like a special license. Right. Exactly. You know what sense. I mean? Right. Like, Well, and I think, and you know,
0: in far as, as far as encroaching on jobs, I mean, I don't know how Rachel and Josh feel about it, but I, I think I've heard fewer physicians say that, and I've certainly heard many more nurses say that. Okay. They're concerned about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I most physicians that I'm aware of that work with PAs and are aware of PAs feel like you're saying you, your reach is extended. You can do so much more. Right. And yeah, rather than PA, we can't replace, physician. yeah, we can't replace you. We can't work without you. Right. So it's not we really right. want to. Right, and we're not replacing nurse
1: practitioners or nurses either. Right. It's, there's but, still so many. There's enough sick people to go around. As around. doctors exactly. to say all the time. Exactly. <laughs> I guess. I guess where physicians are being.
3: No, I could be wrong. This is. I'm just throwing it out there. I think physicians just feel like they're being attacked from all sides right now. Yeah. So they're going to yeah. protect their territory while yeah. they can. Yeah. Right, so yeah. because of that, I think that's what the issue is. I think when funding is restored, and it will be restored, because governments are forced to restore the funding when to. all things go to crap. and it's done this before. And yes, it goes up and brain down. Drain, exactly. like brain exactly. All the
1: doctors left Ontario, yeah. and then they oh, did this. I didn't know that. Oh, there, oh, there, oh, was yeah. huge, there was. a yeah. I think it was in the nineties, maybe I yeah. don't know, but yeah, the, like there was this uh, tons of doctors left the province. Because, it was in the nineties. Yeah, that's when all this stuff was established. Oh, I didn't, in terms and then they had a huge cutbacks
3: back then. And like, the OMA started getting random dues, which means we basically pay no matter what. Yeah, you have. So that's when it all member. started. We're
0: forced to be members too. If it right. makes you feel any better. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're forced to pay. <laughs> yes. If you don't pay, you
1: you can't be at a CC. Yeah, yeah, you
0: can't be you can't be certified to practice. Yeah, I mean, I, PA's are on Doc's side. Like we are. Yeah. Because we don't have sense. we don't have jobs without you. So okay. we're you know. So I think we
3: just need to mm-hmm. vote appropriately. And push appropriately. And push appropriately. Yeah. Well, we have those
1: will, conversations.
0: We will have uh, we will have both petitions up and your website. Thank up. you. I appreciate that. Um. Yeah. And um, also, uh, do you if, are you okay, Josh? If people contact you, if yeah. they have questions or comments, please. any
2: questions? If you're a pre PA, if you're a PA who's currently working or unemployed, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to message me. There's no problem with that at all.
0: Okay. Great. So mm-hmm. we'll put your email up too. So everybody's information will be up on the website and um, thanks for being here yeah thank you you very
1: much meet the PA's podcast is sponsored by pahelpers.ca where you can find all your Canadian exam prep needs if you enjoyed this podcast please visit us at mtppodcast.com please remember to rate, review, and subscribe and we would love your feedback